Father, we thank you for the scripture we have heard this morning. We pray now that as we think about these passages, so we would hear your word to us, to each of us individually and to us together. Teach us, Lord, we pray. And may these words be acceptable always in your sight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure that at some level, these two readings will be familiar. But I wonder if you've ever really thought deeply about them. About what they really tell us as we read. So I've given this sermon the title, Three Words. Let's see. My first word is he. When Jesus' body was taken from the cross, it was almost time, almost time, for the Sabbath to begin. So the proper burial preparations couldn't be completed properly. Normally there would have been special spices and ornaments, maybe some thyme, possibly rosemary. Depends what the label said, maybe. They would have been used before the corpse was wrapped in a linen cloth and then entombed. Joseph of Arimathea, which we read about in um, chapter 23, just before the passage from Luke today, places the body in the empty tomb, but he's only really got time to wrap it in the linen. He's not got time to do the, the embalming, if you like, the, the, the careful work with the spices, um, etc. So the women watching him do that carefully note where the body's laid, and they just have time then to go and prepare the spices and ointments and the rest of the, le- the day that was left called the preparation day before the Sabbath began so that then they could do the right thing on the Sabbath which was nothing and then they could do things properly on the first day of the week on the first day of the week very early in the morning we read didn't we the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb I wonder how they felt having to do things all the wrong way round. I guess it had happened before with other people who died very close to the Sabbath, but it doesn't make it any of the less difficult, does it? When today there are delays around funerals after someone has died, it still feels difficult and troublesome, as I'm sure it did to those women back then. So when they do arrive at the tomb early that morning, imagine their shock and surprise when they are greeted by three quite amazing things. First of all, the huge stone sealing the entrance to the tomb has been rolled away. I've often wondered, why on earth did they go? Because they knew that stone was there. How did they expect they were going to move it? Secondly, they go into the tomb and there's no body. Now, they'd seen the body they put in there the day before. Where had the body gone? And then thirdly, two men in shining clothes appeared. Cornelius, in our Acts reading, he had a similar visitor in shining clothes in Acts chapter 10. It's as though their appearance was shining and their clothes were gleaming white. But the women's response of fear as they see them compels to bow them to the ground. And they wouldn't be the first to make such a response to the appearance of an angel. Luke records both Zechariah and Mary doing that too, right at the beginning of his gospel. 
And basically, that's all that Luke tells us about the resurrection. Nothing more. It seems a bit sparse, doesn't it, really? The only other thing recorded are the words of the angels. He is not here, he has risen. And that's my second word, has. This sparse kind of writing is quite typical of Luke. You see, he is all about proof, establishing the reality of something, especially through eyewitnesses. The truth and the reality of something as it is. And that little word has means that something definite has happened. It's owned. It is a word that describes the being of something. Remember, he's writing for Gentiles. They won't have the history of their scripture to give them the clue to look out for in any given situation. There are no prophecies to be fulfilled. There's no patterns in history for them to look for. They, and maybe you and I, need hard facts. What did someone really see? And following from that, can I believe what they say? Last night, Andrew and I watched, um, well, I'll rephrase that. Andrew watched and I watched some and slept through other bits. <laughs> um, a Miss Marple. Do you like Miss Marple? Agatha Christie's Miss Marple? It's a television adaptation. And it was the one called They Do It With Mirrors, if anybody remembers that story. The trouble was, because I did remember the story, it didn't matter that I went to sleep. <laughs> um, I kind of picked it up when I woke back up again. But that's all about trying to prove that something happened in a particular way. And that's exactly what Luke is trying to do. Give us proof that things happen. So the disciples' surprise, the women disciples that is, at what they find, might surprise us. But remember, we've all had a lifetime of celebrating Easter. We know what happens. Easter egg hunts, little rabbits, flowering daffodils. But the women that day didn't know. They were experiencing it for the first time. In those moments, I'm sure utter shock and disbelief was in their mind. They absolutely expected the stone to be rolled across. I still don't understand how they thought they were going to do anything, but anyway, there you go. They absolutely expected the body was inside. They knew it was inside. But you know, they shouldn't have been surprised, really, should they? If they had been paying close attention to Jesus' words, they should have known. The angels who greet them tell them that it is all just as he had said it would be. He was waiting for them in Galilee. They should not have expected to find him amongst the dead. Remember how he told you they said, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. So now with this reminder ringing in their ears, they do indeed remember. I guess it was as if all the jigsaw pieces suddenly fell into place at once. They really understood As we've travelled together over these last six years, there will be many things that I've shared with you about faith and its journey. But there will have been, and always be, some spiritual matters that just can't be understood by any logic or suggestions that I or anyone else sharing with you might make. Some things just need God to explain them himself. And this has always been true, right from the beginning of creation. 
That's why I have and will continue to encourage people to read scripture often, to spend time in prayer with God, to give him the chance to speak to you, to me. Those who encountered the evidence of the empty tomb still required a heavenly explanation that day. They understood the resurrection in the moment the angels reminded them he has risen. So my third word is risen. The words the angel shared with the women encouraged them to dig deep into their memory as to what Jesus had said. And you can imagine, can't you, how the circumstances of the previous few days had completely overwhelmed them and their memory. Their friends had been hung on a cross. Not a pleasant experience in any way, shape or form. I could tell you all the gory details, but it's Easter Sunday, so I'm not going to. God's word is true, and what he says will happen does. All the women had to do in this seemingly impossible situation was to remember what Jesus had said. Now, we're not in the same situation as the women, but when we do find ourselves in moments where life doesn't seem to make sense, perhaps we should be like them and try to remember what Jesus has said, in particular, what he has said about living as a disciple. Can you take that back, please? And again. And again. Thank you. <laughs> Here's the women. What did they hear? He has risen. Some things that come to mind about living as a disciple, things that over these past years we've talked about together, things that Luke has recorded, might be something like this. We will be rejected and insulted on account of our faith. On Friday evening, as I left the church after the um, reflection, meditation that we had in the evening, I had robes on. Or must have been Thursday evening, Thursday evening, after the communion. I left the church and I stood outside while people were coming out. And across the road there were three, they happened to be young men, but they could have been young women, they could have been anything. The ordinary people walking across. I obviously gave them a shock because they said, what the is that? As I walked out of the church. And I, had, I didn't have these robes on, I had my black and white ones on. Suddenly one of them had a proper look. And their memory obviously overtook them and they realised I was the vicar. That they had seen before, because I knew who they were. And one of them then did graciously say hello. But as they went on up the road, I heard them shout something, which I'm not going to repeat, but it was an insult. And I can honestly say, I have never been insulted wearing my robes before. And it will stand with me that, because I realised just how profound a moment that was, as I remembered that in Luke chapter 6... It tells me that we will be rejected and insulted on account of our faith. But it also says we are blessed too. In Luke chapter 9, we find that we are told that greatness is found in being the least. Doesn't mean being the one walked over. It means being the one who serves and encourages and builds up. In Luke 11, we find that God gives us the Holy Spirit, our encourager, our guide, our sustainer, our strength. And in Luke 12, it says we have no need to be anxious, for all the riches of God's kingdom have been given to us. But I'm challenged by that. 
Do I live that way? Do I live as if I've got all God's riches? I'm not sure that I do every day. But Jesus tells me I should. So I have no need to be anxious. And then in Luke 12, Jesus is coming back. And in Luke 17, we won't miss it. We used to have a joke in our house, I might have told you this before. My mum was always one for finishing things, even if it meant we were late for something. And it would usually be the washing up. And my dad always used to say to her, you'll be late for heaven because you'll be saying, I've just got to finish the washing up. I hate washing up, so it won't happen to me, I promise. (laughs) In Luke 18, we're reminded that whatever you and I give up for Christ, and following him might mean, it will mean, giving up much. And we will receive far more in this life and infinitely more in the next. The angel said to the women, remember how he told you. We can be sure that as we remember the things he's told us, we will have enough to know how to live well for the future. And the things that we've shared together over these last years, and a proportion of them through a pandemic, well, they might just be a start to help us live well together. Luke names the women who had this amazing conversation. Not just out of interest. Remember I told you he's all for eyewitnesses, for proof. He names them so that others can receive their testimony, hear their story, discover the truth. And how amazing is it that because of them, we too have a story to tell. We too can point to the good news they discovered and shared. Their sadness was turned to celebration. Their silence was turned to sharing. So imagine how tough it must have been when the men seemingly poured cold water on it all by saying, you're just women, what do you know? What is this nonsense you're talking about? He has risen. Peter does take a second look though. Maybe there is a glimmer of a memory. Maybe there is a glimmer of a memory. He dares to go and look, to see the empty tomb for himself. But without the angelic interpreters, Scripture tells us he can only wonder about those linen strips. What does it say? Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself, what had happened. Well, by the time he comes to spend time with Cornelius, thanks Ken, from our Acts reading, a whole new world has opened up to Peter. The women's words are proven to not be nonsense at all. He has risen. Jesus will forgive him his human reactions of the past previous few days. The action of denying that he even knew him in the courtyard three times, you'll remember. To his disbelief and his bad memory at the tomb entrance, don't be ridiculous, of course he's not risen. From all of that, Peter will begin to be one of the leaders of the church, the new way of faith that they all began to share. He began to remember what Jesus had told him about how to live as a disciple, even discovering, and this is crucial, 
even discovering that this way of faith was not just for Jews, but for all people who dare to trust in the Lord Jesus as their saviour. All people. Even the young men that shouted at me across the street on Thursday night. He has risen. We are the other side of Luke's story. We're on the far side of the resurrection to the women, to Joseph, to Peter, to Cornelius even, really. It's much easier for us to step back and see the whole story of the last few days and how it all fits in with the bigger story of God and his people in the whole of Scripture. We can see how the whole thing fits in with what's gone before and that God is faithful to keep his promises made right back in the midst of time. Today, as we worship together, knowing that things are going to change for us, I know, and I think you probably know too, that it will be helpful for us all to remember this truth as we experience some of the loss that the women and the disciples felt as they see the empty tomb at first. The pain of watching the crucifixion had caused them to forget, even ignore, the promises of the crucifixion and the resurrection that Jesus so clearly made. Sometimes life can be like that for us. Maybe it feels a bit like that today. But we do really only need to remember the resurrection to know that nothing takes God by surprise. Mike McKinley, a minister of the Baptist Church, says this, the darkness of midnight does not mean that dawn is never coming. In fact, the longer the darkness, the closer the dawn. In other words, Jesus kept his words to his followers. He did indeed suffer, but then he rose again just as he said he would. And I'm sure that if he was able to keep that promise, then he will keep all of his promises made to you and to me. He has risen. So how might these three words change your life and its priorities, and mine, again today? Remember, in Luke 9 it tells us, we are called to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel. And we save our eternal lives when we do that. Alleluia. Christ is risen. I'm going to play a piece of music now. Um, it will 